It's Cofield and Company. Steve Cofield, yeah, but it is Friday. You got to do it. I'm not doing it. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm yeah! not that. There you go. That's there. better. That's better. It is Cofield and Company on this Friday. Friday. I'll sing. There you go. That's fine. Uh, Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez, and Ari here with you on this Friday. It's not. No joke. Steve Cofield not here. Once again. He's too busy. He is too busy. Uh, so much to get into. The guest list is out of control. Ari's going to be freaking out all day about us staying on the clock. That's fine. We won't do it anyway. He's freaking but out last night. Poor What's kid. It? He was freaking out last night. I know. Well, was, listen, listen, we have a lot of guests today. we got to get sending, them all in. I prepare. I was sending him nervous medicine. A lot to talk about. I referenced it yesterday. I'll, I'll just say it again without really saying it. Uh, I am incredibly nervous about some bets tomorrow, so I'm just going to be freaking out the whole show. And uh, maybe we'll talk about it Monday. Maybe. Maybe we'll discuss it. <laughs> a lot of nerves this week. You got action on the women's Final Four tonight? That's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, so many guests. I don't even want to get into them all now, but we're going to have a lot of discussions about a lot of different things today and the Final Four. Uh, we have a couple of things to start off with, but first, I'm going to bring up something that I've talked about a couple times on this show. Okay. Somebody, we have a lot of listeners. A lot of them live over here in this area as well. Don't harass this person but i need intel (laughs) yeah don't dox this guy i need some intel i've discussed this before there is a dude that hangs out at the starbucks near this station every single day listen i hang out at starbucks almost every day but it's almost a different always almost always a different one i go like all over the you know i go to different spots whatever part of town i'm in i work this dude sits at the table in front of the Starbucks all day, every day. And it used I used to go like three times a week. He's always there. I haven't gone in, I haven't gone to this particular one in a month. I go there today, he's there. Now he's got another guy. It's like it's their office. But they don't work. They just sit there, and they talk to everyone that comes in. They talk to every employee. They're always getting involved in things. I don't know what this dude is doing, and I don't. Older or younger? Older, maybe, maybe fifties. No, maybe late forties, early fifties. So that there were two older gentlemen that were. It was like they were sitting in front of a Satriales. Yes, so there were two older gentlemen that did that at at a Starbucks up by where I used to live. Jordan and I used to live when he was still at Arbor because I would go there after. He would go to school, and they'd be there every single morning, and they'd be in the same table inside, but and the same thing. They did. They they they'd know who was walking in. Oh yeah. They get into the conversation. They're in everybody's business. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's. I wonder if this guy just relocated. <laughs> but if somebody, I, listen, I'm. I everybody knows where I'm on social media all the time. If somebody, if somebody hit me up. If you know anything about this person, or if you find out anything, let, I just want to know what they're like. What's the goal? 
What are they? They don't do anything. It's the two fifteen in uh, in Flamingo. Oh, I've been to that one, but I. You've probably seen the guy. I probably. And seen by the him. way, t- it drove me nuts today, and I don't know why it's more than normal. But he had a shirt on that said like "Coffee made me do it," and I'm like, now you're wearing like clothes related. Like, what are we doing here? I don't know what's going on with this guy. There's a lot there. What? What do you got? Maybe, maybe he owns one. I no, no, say- no. This is not. This is not an ownership type guy. I'm judging, <laughs> but uh-huh. he's not. He he does not seem like an owner of any. And he is. The conversations he gets into, I'm just looking at him like, dude, what are you doing? He went over. He's like going over to people sitting. In, oh no, 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 no! There's no, some no. lady working. Yeah, there's some lady working on her on her computer, and he walks over and he's like, he's like, God, it's your birthday this weekend, right? What's the boyfriend doing for you? I'm like, oh, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, that's troublesome. Yeah, I. So these guys, these older gentlemen that did that over on the one extreme northwest, they they didn't get up and go get in people's conversations, but they knew everybody that walked in. They they knew regulars that would come in with their kids. They'd say hi to those kids. They they they, but they were in the same seat every single time. Drives me absolutely nuts. It's the three on Cofield and Company. You know what else drives me nuts? I don't. Well, I do. There's a lot of things there that drive is. you nuts, but what's today's? April Fool's Day. Oh. <laughs> I, was, I was sitting here going, what is that? But well, yes. Uh, as much as it sounds disorganized on the show, I actually did send out a rundown of things we were going to talk about, and you were like, what on earth is AFD? <laughs> what April is Fool's Day. Yeah. <laughs> it is the worst. It's. You know why? It's Because I... Like, I love jokes and I love humor. I feel like I'm funny on occasion. And I like people. I have a lot of friends that are funny. Like, this is the day where people that aren't funny try to be funny. I think that's what drives me nuts. This would be the kind of day where someone like Marc-Andre Fleury, anything that he does, it should be real. Like, if he has some, like, news to break or something, like, at home or with his teammates in Minnesota – like he should tell them today, wait, and then they're waiting for the punchline and be like, no. Like, because he, like, of all the pro athletes that we've, he he's the the prankster, right? That, I mean, maybe UFC, other uh, sports you've covered, but he's the guy that pulls the pranks. A lot of the hockey guys, the Vegas Golden Knights, right? Reeves, Marchesaw. This would be the day I could see, like, pranksters not pulling any pranks and waiting for today yeah, to do because, something for well, real. Well, because people that are actually funny don't participate in this nonsense. Right. <laughs> I think that's the difference. Yeah. It is just, I mean, if you, and it just started, I, it's the one day that I'm not on Twitter 24 hours. Actually, there's another we'll get into a little bit later. But it's, like, the one day I'm not on 24 hours because I'm just, like, enough of the, it started literally last night. It was, like. It was like 10.30 last night, and I saw a tweet from somebody, and I was like, whoa. And then immediately I said, oh, it's after midnight on the East Coast. Good Lord. And just sh- angrily shut down my Twitter. I, I can't take it. So just stop. Just stop. So, can, yeah, it's I, I'm with you. I don't. I just won't take any calls or tweets or keep myself busy. and Or if anybody does reach out, then it's kind of like, I just you're automatically gonna knock. Did you hear the blah blah blah? Like yeah. no, stop. And, and listen, I love LeBron, but LeBron today with the decided I'm shutting it down for the season. <laughs> like the first of all, bro, you're you're fighting for a playoff spot right now. Probably not the time. And like, and it's really it's also like could be true. 
Like you're close to, you know, you've been injured, you've been you've been hurt. Like eh, enough, just enough of the the silliness that it's all over the place. And for people that are actually on, you know, monitoring news all the time, now now today you got to be like, all right, is this is this a joke? Yeah. What are we doing? Yep. This is just silly. Yeah. It's exhausting, and it's just it's not. If you have something good, go ahead. I mean the. You know the 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 legendary like pre-internet days. I think it might have been better. Yeah, that's it wasn't true. Like this. Yeah, it's but just the, a, you know the legendary Sports yeah. Illustrated piece about you know this super prospect that was going to change the game, and they put it out on April first, and there was no internet. Like mm-hmm. stuff like that was good, but I think the internet probably ruined it. So uh, the internet is amazing in every way, except for did the internet or did this. social media? Yeah, uh, well, social media is the internet to me at this point, right? It is, thing. but I mean, when, when you know, when the internet sort of stormed in what ninety five ish, circa nineteen ninety five. I mean, there was AOL before that, but you know, mid nineties basically. But social media has taken it to a whole different level. Sure. And how about the the middle of my high school? Is like when the internet. <laughs> if you're saying like ninety five, so like half of my high school was in the dark ages. Half was in the internet age, yeah. which is great. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. They're unbelievably sound. They're fundamental. They 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 don't turn it over. You have to beat them. They don't beat themselves. And in our sport, there's probably more games lost. They're all games actually won, and they're not going to help you beat them. So that would be a great compliment if anybody ever said that about my teams. They probably don't, but if they did, that, that I, I would take that as a compliment. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Coach Bill Self of Kansas, he has led his team into the Final Four on one of the easiest paths you're ever going to see. That's not... Second guessing, that was my tweet before the tournament, said that if Bill Self doesn't get this team to the Final Four, it's embarrassing. This path is one of the easiest you're ever going to see. And they navigated those waters, so good for them. And we'll see if they can continue that. Of course, that's not the game most people are talking about. But we want to get into breaking down the games in the Final Four and a couple other things going on in college basketball with our good friend, Coach Joe, Joe Esposito. How you doing, Coach? I'm doing well. How are you? I just can't wait for those games, man. It's going to be an exciting, exciting weekend. It is. I'm looking forward to it. I want to get your thoughts on them. But first, we were just talking about April Fool's Day. You're not an April Fool's Day guy, are you? No, I'm not an April Fool's Day guy. But I'm going to tell you this. April 1st is a huge day in college basketball. Yeah. Because most buyouts of coaching contracts, if you make it past April 1st, or you don't, if you get fired before April 1st, there's like buyouts and payouts and all these different things, and it's kind of sad. You know, you saw Butler today. They fired their head coach, and their season ended 22 games ago. Or I'm sorry, 22 days ago, and now all of a sudden it's April 1st. They don't have to pay him out that big buyout, so they fire him today. I think that's dirty business. You knew after that last game when you were going to fire Because As a matter of fact, these athletic directors probably knew way before, a month, two months before, that they were thinking about maybe replacing their coach, and then they go ahead and they – you know, wait till April 1st. Now, some guys after April 1st, that date. So you'll probably see a few guys get fired tomorrow. So it's always a tough time for a lot of coaches, especially those guys at the Final Four. Coach, uh, two things real quick. We spoke last week. And uh, just to recap, Cofield owes me dinner at the uh, no nostalgic question. Italian joint up the street over there because Duke's in the Final Four. And you know why April 2nd is big in the college basketball 
Because in 1990, UNLV demolished Duke with the biggest history. route in yeah, championship history. So just so just want to throw that out there. He said April 1st is big. April 2nd is big as well right here in Las Vegas. No question. And that was a heck of a game. If you can remember back to that game and just at that time, boy, UNLV was just massive. I mean, they were strong. They were physical. They attacked the rim. And that was one of the greatest beatings I've seen in a Final Four game. But when you look at these four teams, man, that are in this Final Four, three of the four winningest programs in the history of basketball, just think 61 combined Final Four appearances and 17 national champions, you couldn't get a bigger brand in the game than what's happening there. I can just imagine the sales and all the things as far as gear and shirts and hats and just the excitement for these four teams, their followings. I think the NCAA really needed after the COVID deal and losing a Final Four, but I know they're definitely making up for it this year with yeah. these four great teams in there. Well, so is the whole city of New Orleans. Uh, I can tell you the hotel prices are nuts. The ticket prices are completely insane. There's going to be a lot of money flowing uh, in New Orleans this weekend. A lot of money here in Vegas, too, on people who are investing in some of these games. So, I, you know, we'll talk about Duke and North Carolina, of course. It's a massive game. But Villanova, Kansas is really intriguing to me as well. Kansas has some notorious tournament failures uh, in the past. They did make their run through an easy path in this tournament. Villanova, we know about their success in the tournament. They've been incredible. Jay Wright just knows how to coach. But they do come into this game shorthand, uh, losing one of their key players, and it's not like they're deep. They only play six guys. So now they only have five guys that usually play. How difficult of an adjustment is this for a team to really only have five guys that have played regular minutes this year? It's going to be a huge difference. And I think, to be honest with you, I think that's going to be the difference in the game because, you know, losing Justin Moore, torn Achilles in Elite Eight, that's just so big because they need him. You know, especially he was always the guy that was responsible for guarding the best perimeter player. You know, they like to switch. He could switch and guard people. And he made big plays. He was second leading scorer. He, he, he scored the ball. When you put him and Gillespie together out there, I mean, they're really, really tough. And uh, it's going to be tough to lose him. I mean, he can score. He can defend. Um, and the other thing he does is he just works the defensive side of the ball. I mean, he talks on defense. He's aggressive. I really think that he's going to be the key factor in the game that is going to hurt them because if they had him, I think they'd be a lot different. But now Kansas is so tough to play against. I mean, they've got the inside-out game. You know, how are you going to guard McCormick and Lightfoot? Are you going to go in there and trap? Are you going to go in there and, and just you know leave your man? And I mean, it's going to be hard to guard those guys. The perimeter guys can score. They're so balanced. They got the inside-outside game. And you know, Bill Self's been known for that high-low offense. And and I think that they're really, really going to be tough to beat. Um, and they're playing well right now. You know, they're a team that's got a lot of confidence, and I think they're really, really playing well. And So I'm going to be excited to see what changes Villanova is going to make. You know, the biggest thing with Villanova is they try to control tempo, and they're going to have to do that against uh, Kansas. If they don't control the tempo and they don't do a good job of, of, you know, slowing Kansas down, it's going to be more than four and a half, which the line is right now. Coach, guy I've been impressed with with Kansas, you know, he it's he's somewhat changed his game since coming over from Arizona State. You know, he's averaging 10.8 field goal attempts in his sophomore year, up to 15, then 14 his senior year. Comes over, 
to Kansas, Remy Martin, he's only averaging, you know, six shots per game, but what he adds is a different dimension and a sort of a nice role player. He's somewhat been a bit of an X factor for that team. Yeah, you know, he has, and he's done a lot of great things. I had a chance to watch him a lot out here in Arizona, and he's a guy that's definitely playing better. Um, you know, and and they need him. You know, they need him on offense. But the thing that hurts them with, with Remy Martin is I think he is a guy that Villanova is going to go right after defensively. Villanova likes to post up their guards. They do a good job of posting Gillespie. Um, I, I think you're going to see them try to get Remy Martin in some defensive struggles. And, and whoever he's guarding, I think they're going to try to you know exploit that because I think that's one of his weaknesses. And I think that's one of the, Kansas's weaknesses defensively when he's in the game. So it'll be interesting to see what Jay Wright's got up his sleeve. He's been in these situations before. You know, and when you look at these four teams, they all got great players, and players make plays. I always say players win games, coaches lose games. And you don't want to overthink these games by any means. I think they got a way they play. They're a good passing team, Villanova. You know, they're a solid team. They're defensively. They're really, really tough. They're tough kids. They'll take a charge. I think they're the kind of team that's going to hang around for a long time. But in the long run, I think Kansas is going to run away with it. And any concern about the Kansas free throw shooting? It was ugly last game. And Villanova, uh, on pace, if they don't mess up these last two games, to be the best free throw shooting team in college basketball history. Well, you know, that's always a factor in every game. You know, you, you always believe that if you're making your free throws, it's going to be a big advantage for you. And and Kansas didn't shoot it well. And, and they've had games where they haven't all year long shot it well. And, you know, the thing is, is does Villanova have a lot of fouls to give um, with their with their depth issue? Um, do they just bring some guys off the bench and really bang inside and, and pick up fouls? And, I mean, that's the kind of thing you got to think about. Um, you know, do you want to go ahead and, and you know, not let a guy get a layup inside, just – just give them a good hard foul and make them earn it from the free throw line. And and you may see a little bit of that, but they've got to be careful because they get in trouble foul trouble wise. They just don't have a lot of depth. And and when you have limited guys that you could put in the game, and as you see all these teams, you see the bench is shrinking. And when you have limited guys um, to play, it makes it a lot harder to win these tight games. Coach Joe Esposito, follow him on Twitter at Coach underscore Esposito. Uh, for a lot of great insights, a lot of a lot of great food takes too up on Twitter, so check that out. Uh, all right, we'll talk about the other game. I despise the fact that we have to talk about Duke more, but it's been a great run for Coach K in his career, I guess. I mean, is there any reason we shouldn't hate him? You know, yeah, I don't think you should hate the guy. I really <laughs> think he's done a lot for the game of basketball. You know, when you look at what he's done for USA basketball and the program he's had, take away the jealousy. Just think about his his unbelievable career and what the guy has done for the game. And he, he's got a strong voice and he's coached so many great players. His gym is the high school gym. He, he's, he's made that place famous. I mean, you know, three first three years when he was there, they were going to fire him. And he probably would have been fired uh, if, if it was nowadays. And he had those first three years that he did. And I know somebody that I worked with when I was at uh, Minnesota and Texas Tech, Vince Taylor, who played on that very first team. And uh, it's just amazing to see how he just stuck with his guns on, hey, this is what we're going to do culture-wise. And it paid off. So you got to give him credit. And it's kind of just a storybook finish. You know, more than likely he's going to win this thing. And it's going to be the probably the greatest story of all. 
And uh, if that does come in, in, you know, does come true, I think you just got to take your hat off and just realize the type of career he had when you look at his numbers. Coach, that being said, as great of a story as this is and the storyline and making it to the Final Four and the, the farewell tour, if you will, uh, do we need him? Do we need Duke playing on Monday to keep this story, or will any matchup do come Monday night? I, I, th- I think the if the matchup is Carolina Kansas, I mean any of the other if Carolina Kansas or Carolina Villanova, it's still going to be unbelievable. But just to think that if it is Coach K, and Duke is in that final game, the excitement of that game, and is he going to win out? And you know, there's only going to be one team that's going to end the season with a win. Now you could say Xavier, you know, last night ended their season with a win, but you know the NITs that not invited tournament. Nobody really cares. I mean, if you don't turn the TV on and and search for that game, you don't even know what's happening. And this game, though, everyone knows. And, and if he goes out a winner, it'll be amazing, and it definitely will be something talked about for so many years. And I think it'll be one of those the things that nobody will forget. Coach, uh, what a slap in the face to the other tournaments that you're just expressing. Uh, I, I can't even, I can't even deal with this. I mean, Fresno State and Coastal Carolina playing right now. Fresno State could end the year with a win. Now, if you're talking about the CBI, come no, on, the, man. it's the basketball classic, Coach. Well, it, it's a classic, all right. But I'll tell you this: I've been in that NIT, and it's just so different. I mean, we made it all the way to the finals when we were at Minnesota, and uh, we got in the final game, Madison Square Garden, unbelievable, just great experience have a chance to be in Madison Square Garden. I don't care where you're from. That is the mecca of basketball. I happen to be a New Yorker, so I like it even more. But I'm telling you, it's just not the same. When you go to that NCAA tournament and you're playing, you're practicing. Like right now, they're practicing in front of so many fans and and getting ready for the game. It's just an unbelievable feeling. It's just so so different. So we talk about Duke and the the storyline potentially of them making this run with Coach K, but – Pretty incredible story on the other side, too, with with Hubert Davis coming in, taking this North Carolina team, having some struggles early in the year. But if you look at almost any advanced metric of what's been going on the last month and a half, I I know the date that people have been circling is kind of February 19th. Since February 19th, every number you can find says North Carolina has been far and away the number one team in the country. I mean, what have they done and how impressive is this job that Hubert Davis has done? You know, Hubert Davis has done a great job, but I, you know, you got to be happy the way he, he he took a team and his first year with a chance to win a national championship. But how cool would it have been if Roy Williams hung on one more year and Roy Williams and and Coach K were going at it tonight, and whoever loses retires. You know, I was thinking about that for the longest time. Say, imagine if Roy just stayed one more year, what it would be like. And I guarantee you, a lot of people in Carolina are saying that. But, you know, when I saw North Carolina play at Cameron Arena and beat Duke, I said, I think it was to my wife who was sitting next to me on the couch, they got a chance. You know, they, they've looked so good. From that day on, they just look so experienced. And I've got to tell you, I had them on my in my Final Four. And after seeing that game, that's what got me excited. I just think they are so tough. Um, I think transi- their transition offense and the way they shoot the ball, you know, they got three guys, Love, Davis, um, manic. I mean, they can just shoot it. I mean, when they're making threes um, and they're banging those threes, it's tough to beat them. Um, defensively, they've gotten way better. You know, I don't think they're going to change their their way of playing really um, against Duke. You know, they've played each other twice. They've seen each other a ton of times. There's not a lot of things you can change. Um, but to be honest with you, 
it's been fun watching. And I would say they're definitely the hottest team in the game right now. They were an eight seed. They had to claw and fight their way into this thing. But they're very deserving. And there's a good chance they could beat Duke. So, yeah, I mean, you you said what it would what would it be like if Roy Williams was still the coach and they were playing. I don't know that they'd be here. You might be right. I mean, they're, they're, you might be right. But Hubert Davis was sitting right next to him. And, you know, just like John Shire is sitting right next to, you know, Coach K, um, you know, I mean, you players are players. Players win games. I think the thing about Hubert Davis that I've seen is he's really got a love for his kids. I mean, I think he's a coach that the kids really want to play for him. And I think he's going to have a lot of success coaching. He seems like a really good guy. I know him a little bit, but not, not very well. And every time you talk to him, he looks you in the eye and he's interested in what you're saying, as opposed to some of these guys with these big egos, while they're shaking your hand, they're thinking about the next person they're going to shake hands with. And he's not that guy. He put together a great team. You know, the Manic coming from Oklahoma, the portal and what it's done. And I just, I just think that North Carolina is playing with so much confidence. And the more and more you watch them, the harder and harder it is to think about ways to beat them. So you're you're saying I have a really important question to get to, but you're saying right now Kansas Duke or Kansas North Carolina? I'm saying Duke because I think the referees are gonna uh, <laughs> yeah, make agree. sure that Duke is is in that game, just like the Texas Tech game. You know, it was seemed to change a little bit the momentum at the end. So I'm saying Duke, and I'm saying Kansas, and I think that'll be a storybook uh, final. There you go. Um, did you have a chance to listen to the clip from Todd Golden earlier today? I did, and I got a little nauseous because I didn't understand. All right, hold on. How I, you're up too? Let me set this up. Let me set this up. Set it up. Todd Golden is one of my current coaching obsessions. Just so we know, he coached at University of San Francisco. I followed their team very closely because I love him and a lot of the things that he says. Now he is now the coach of Florida, so he's taken a big step forward into the SEC. Uh, did take Carlin Hartman, coach at uh, UNLV, assistant coach. He is now. Uh, on the staff at Florida, so he's going there. But this is this was Todd Golden's philosophy, and I've seen him do this, and he was talking about it, and I love it. He says, up two, with eight seconds left, you're on defense, right? So you're winning by two, you're on defense. He says, foul. Now, there's a couple reasons why. Now, I've always said this, so I'm very happy that he's saying it. There's a couple reasons why. A, you eliminate the – I mean – Chances are that team's going to take a three-point shot, which is, what, 30 to 40% at this level? That you're going to make the shot and lose the game right there. So you want to take that out of the equation. You foul. The worst-case scenario, I mean, there's things that could happen. They could miss one and, and get a rebound. We understand that there's other things that could happen there. But you're really thinking, worst-case scenario, they make both shots. Now you have the final shot in regulation. And either you make a shot or get fouled and you win it. Or you go to overtime. And if you're the better team, you'd rather have five minutes in to exert yourself as the better team than you would taking a chance of just stopping a three-pointer from going in. So he's saying up to when you're the better team in that scenario, you foul. And by the way, he didn't just say it. He did it this year. It worked. They won. Uh, the kid missed a free throw, so they, they were able to win the game. But I am so for this strategy. I am so against it, and that's why you're not coaching basketball. <laughs> and that's why his time at Florida is going to be limited because it it is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And if you talk to any coaches, older coaches, 
that all right, for, let's just look about it. Eight seconds. First of all, you got to be secure that you've taught your kids how to play defense and how to protect the three point line. And if it's ever anywhere between 15 seconds or less, you're switching everything. And if they get off a great looking three, I'd be surprised if you're teaching and every day in practice, you're looking at strategy. So yeah, if they get a two or a layup or something, it's the same scenario. I get it. Great. But why not get a stop? Why not get a stop in a block or a contested shot? I agree to foul when you're up three, yeah, but not up two. I don't agree with it at all. There's too many things that can happen. And then when you say, well, you're the better team. Well, St. Peter's was the better team and, not the better team or anything can happen in the game. Look at all these games. Teams get upset all the time. So you're taking such a risk. It's like, why would you want to give them the opportunity to tie the game? Why not just stop them, get the rebound and end it right there. Or if they're going to the basket, foul them. So they don't make a two point shot or just contest a three point shot. You're saying the statistics are 30% to 40 yeah, if the right guy's shooting it and the right guy's set and the right guy's not being defended. But I bet you those percentages go way down if he has somebody in his face pressuring the hell out of him well, and the clock's going down. Sure, but if you're pressuring the hell out of a three-point shooter, you have a chance of fouling him also and giving him three free throws. The, all I'll say is this. If you play out the percentages and you run them, if you run them out and you play it out, it gives you a better chance to win percentage-wise and that should be a coach's job, right? Give your team the best percentage chance to win. And and I, I transfer this to football. Like I talk about this in fo- football all the time. Coaches make wrong decisions because it's what's been done traditionally, even though it doesn't give their team as good of a chance to win. To me, a coach's job, yeah, you recruit the players, you put that, you teach them, you do all that. But in a game, the coach's job is to give your team the best percentage chance to win, and that's what this does. Yeah, it, but let me tell you what it does. It's even worse. It's telling your team that I don't believe in your defense and you can't get a stop. It's telling your team that our defensive drills don't matter. It's telling your team that, oh, so the next game we play, so you win one game doing that. Oh, great. But the next game, oh, you're not a good defensive team, so we're going to have to figure out a way. I, I totally disagree with Co- it. Because- Coach, hold on. It's also telling your team, I'd rather have you having the shot than them having the shot because we're a better team. But there's two parts of the game. There's a defensive side and an offensive side. You're already ahead, too. With eight seconds, by the time they get it across, it's going to be a, it's going to be one pass and a shot. If that, ninety percent of the time, somebody wants to be a hero and they're going to take a bad shot. Sure. So I, I love to this. me, I, I can argue with you forever, but I'm going to tell you this: What happens if you're dumb enough to foul? They go to the free throw line, they make the first, and the second shot goes out. They grab it, they kick it out, and you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many things that can happen. Sure. You're giving them a chance to beat you. Why give somebody a chance to beat you? They already had a chance you? to beat you. They have the ball with two shooter three. Coach, we are, we are – this is great. I think we can do this again. I actually think we can do a whole podcast on this and, and debate some Let's of these do things. It. I, I love Let's it. Let's do it. We appreciate it. Follow Coach Joe uh, at Coach underscore Esposito. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon, Coach. I'm just not going to hire you on my staff, big fella. <laughs> oh, that, that sucks. I, that's, my, that's my goal. The for Desert my Breeze show. Coach of the Year? Thanks, man. I appreciate Thanks. it. We'll talk to you. Enjoy the game. All right. All right, bye-bye. All right, great stuff from him. We'll get into more discussions, maybe some percentage breakdowns with Stanford Route coming up in just a couple minutes. 
Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Well, Derek Carr has long been a very good NFL quarterback. He has no excuses now. He's got the receiver that he's always dreamed to have on the outside, as well as Hunter Renfro on the inside, who I think is going to have a huge year as Devonta Adams is number two. And then you add in Waller, and make it just name names. The pieces are there, and that's all you can ask for. So if you want to go on paper right now, yeah, the Raiders are contenders in the AFC. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Peter Schrager, NFL Network, talking about the Raiders and some of their offseason additions, what they can do on offense. Adam Hill, William Ramirez in on this Friday on Cofield and Company. And Stanford Route, former NFL player, good friend of the show, S Route 26. You can follow him up on Twitter. You can get the link to his podcast up there as well. Check out a lot of the work that he does. How you doing today, sir? Pretty good, pretty good. Fellas, how are you? We are good. A lot to get into in football. First, I wanted to throw a basketball question out there. I know you'll be watching the Final Four this weekend, right? Is there? There's no way you're cheering for Duke, are you? (laughs) I mean, now that my Cougs are out, uh, they got bounced out of uh, by uh, Villanova. Villanova during the Elite Eight. I mean, I just really just want to go ahead and see a uh, a good Final Four, whether it's Duke, whether it's UNC. Like, I really, really don't care who wins the uh, the whole thing. As long as it's a good, hard-fought game, uh, I really don't have a dog in this fight. Come on, Duke's the evil empire. Nobody can cheer for them. <laughs> I mean, Duke is a little bit of kind of like uh, a little bit of the villain. But, you know, Coach K, with this being his last year, things like that, you know, it could be very poetic to see him go out on top uh, with a victory when everybody pretty much counted the Duke Blue Devils out for much of the year. So I couldn't exactly hate that type of a storybook ending. I couldn't. You call it poetry. In Vegas, we would call that a limerick. A limerick? What is that, a sad poem? <laughs> Snarky. <laughs> yeah. We we don't like we don't like Coach K. It, it goes back thirty years. Stanford. Very, it's very yeah. obvious. Yeah, it's 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 a long running rivalry since the UNLV Duke uh, rivalry, which has not been a thing in like thirty years. But we still hold a grudge here in town, so we don't hope he has a storybook ending uh, to his career. We also did see a ending to Bruce Arians' career. I think there's a lot of un- lot to unpack about the situation and how it unfolded, very and much so everything that went on maybe with Tom Brady behind the scenes. But I did see that. Uh, you sent out a tweet about this. So what what were your thoughts on just the the changing of power in Tampa Bay? Well, I mean, I do love how uh, for Bruce Arians to step down, he pretty much, you know, appointed Todd Bowles as to be his successor. And oftentimes, you see with a lot of coaches, they inherit a job like the Jets. They inherit the Jaguars or the Lions or a team that's in disarray. Very seldom do you see a guy inherit a team that is fully loaded with talent on both sides of the ball and having Tom Brady as your quarterback. So I think that's a great job by Bruce Arians to go ahead and take a step away right now versus next year when presumably Tom Brady would also retire next year, presumably, might I add. And then all of a sudden now you have Kyle Trask and you got uh, who else? You got Blaine Gabbert as the quarterbacks. So for him to be able to go ahead and now be at the helm with a Tom Brady, still having guys like a Levante David and having a Devin White and a Jason Pierre-Paul and, you know, a Mike Evans and a Chris Godwin, people like that. Obviously, you can see Tampa Bay is not going anywhere anytime soon, at least until Tom Brady officially, for real, for real, retires. Um, a lot to get into with the Raiders, but I, I did, you know, as, as somebody who's been there before, um, I, I love talking to 
former players. It's about about the draft process, and it, it changes every year. And obviously, it's it's a bigger business uh, now than it has ever been. But what what were the, what was this last month like for you, waiting to get into the NFL and and the process of going through this? Oh wow! You know, uh, aside from obviously the uh, the private workouts and the visits and things like that, I believe I went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I went to the New Orleans Saints, and I had private workouts with the Chiefs and somebody else. I just it just slips my mind right now because it's been that long. <laughs> So other than that, you know, it's a whole lot of anxiety, you know, not, you're anxious. Okay. It's 30 days until the draft. Okay. It's 28 days. And you know, they always tell you, don't get on Google. Don't start reading the press <laughs> clippings, things like that, but you can't help to do that. You're, you're 20, 21 years old. So all of a sudden you're now on this website and it has you slotted to go, wait a minute, I'm going number 57. Oh, well, uh, so-and-so told me that I should be going in the top 45 picks. What's going on here? So, you know, it's a lot of anxiety. <laughs> it's a lot of that anxious type of feeling, a lot of nerves. So the best thing to do is go ahead and try to find a way to disconnect, be around your family members, your friends, your girlfriend, anybody who you can, anybody who you deem is somebody who actually helps calm your nerves and helps just go ahead and just lower those inhibitions so i think that uh it's definitely going to be a trying time for a lot of people a lot of young fellas coming up over the next 30 days one of the things i'm always intrigued about is we get obsessed with you know who's having private meetings with who who's having private workouts with who you didn't mention the raiders they they drafted you in the second round was that not were they not on your radar necessarily no, the Raiders had not contacted me at all. I know that uh, Calvin Branch and I think uh, Clayton Lopez at the time, they worked me out a little bit in my pro day. So, but, uh, but other than that, the Raiders didn't show me any sort of preferential treatment. They didn't show me any extra attention, anything like that. And it's so crazy because Fabian Washington, a guy that came out in the first round, one of my good friends for the Raiders that same year, he said the same exact thing. And then yeah, come to find out, oftentimes the team that drafts you the reason why you didn't hear from them more is because they were already sold on you. So right. there was nothing else that they needed to see. There were no other questions that they needed to ask. There were no other boxes that they needed checked or anything like that. So it's it, it, in a weird way, the teams that you don't hear from or receive extra attention from, those could very well be the teams who are literally locked in on you. Stanford Route, follow up on Twitter, at SRoute26. Um I have, you know, I was at the Combine for the first time this year. It's the, it's the greatest thing I've ever gone to. I, I love it. I'm obsessed <laughs> with the Combine. It's crazy. But I also, like, I guess just like teams, like, I fell in love with certain players. I was like, this is the guy. And one of them, to me, is Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati, who obviously lights it up on the field. He had some great workouts. But just as a, a seems to be a really genuinely good dude, that you want to, you just want to be around. Like I, I love the guy. What have you seen from him as a player? If you've looked, if you watch him at all, and how good could he be? I, I have him going in the top five. Well, I've, uh, I've, uh, I've watched him a little bit. Obviously, he's an instinctive player, and you know, you just got to love the job that Luke Fickle has done with that entire team up there in Cincinnati, making them the juggernaut that they have now become a part of the college football playoff conversation. So, you know, uh, no, he's definitely going to be a good player, I think, in this league. And I think wherever he goes, he's going to be able to make an immediate impact early on just because you could tell that he understands the game. Obviously, he has instincts, and then he has great ability. So you go ahead and you put him with a top-notch coordinator I think he's going to I think he's going to blossom early on so the Raiders do not have a first round pick right now we'll see if that changes potentially leading up to the draft don't have a second round pick either so the draft is not the primary focus for this team they have done a lot of work leading up to 
the draft and, and acquiring some players, obviously most notably Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones on the defensive side, uh, some good additions in the secondary as well. It seems like you kind of like what they're doing because I saw you put them number two in the AFC West rankings. Yeah, I would right now put them uh, about number two. You got the Chiefs. I think that they're going to have a a huge precipitous decline in production, obviously losing Tariq Hill, but also Teran Matthew. I think that's about six takeaways that you're going to see fall off of the Chiefs' production on the defense side of the ball. And then we already know the production that you're going to see fall off with the Tariq Hill as far as the long ball, things like that. And then you got the Denver Broncos. You got the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, so I think that throughout the entirety of the AFC West, I could very well see any team winning the AFC West. I could see any team losing the AFC West. So pretty much right now, I would put the Raiders at a solid number two. But I believe that the margin for error and just the difference in one to two to three to four is so small. It would not surprise me if you went and just turned everything completely upside down. And then it was the four team that I had uh, with the Denver Broncos being uh, number one. I wouldn't be surprised at any of that. So what what do you think the Raiders still need to do uh, between now and, and the, the time they take the field uh, to start the season? Secondary. Yeah. Secondary. Okay. I think secondary, obviously, you can go ahead and try to build up that offensive line a little bit more. I think, obviously, when you go and you add a Chandler Jones, you have him a book in with a Max Crosby. I think a little bit more pass rush from the interior, a little bit more from up the middle, you can go ahead and try to go ahead and make some upgrades there as well. I think that is where the, the Las Vegas Raiders need to go ahead and make their biggest jumps, or should I say, where they need to go ahead and target people within the draft and still also in free agency getting guys off the street things like that because that interior push is going to help the guys in the back end but definitely they still need to address and add more players to that secondary yeah i mean that they made the trade for a uh, rocky sin who I, I think is a a good system fit i think he's a pretty good player uh but certainly depth <laughs> you it, like there's never enough corners on a team right i mean you absolutely can, you can no, speak from experience on that yeah, and in this AFC West with the Kansas City Chiefs, with the Los Angeles Chargers, with now the Denver Broncos, with a Russell Wilson who can get the ball to Judy, to Tim Patrick, to uh, uh to my man Cortland Sutton and the tight ends and all those guys. Yeah, you never can have enough corners because somebody's going to fall down throughout the season. Somebody's going to twist an ankle. Somebody's going to have a hamstring. Somebody's going to have a knee. Somebody just may have a separated shoulder or something like that that just keeps them out of one to two games. They're not going to be on IR for the rest of the year, but just a little bit of a bump in the road and you got to be able to have somebody go in there and spell them for a game or two because you can't afford to lose that game or two because that very well could be what keeps you out of the playoffs or what keeps you from winning the division and having that home playoff game in the wild card round. Uh, Nate Hobbs last year was, was such a revelation. I think he surprised a lot of people, played at such a high level on the inside. Uh, there was some chatter. I, I don't know how much I believe it, that they could potentially try him on the outside. Would you mess around with that at all? I think you can go ahead and give it a try, but I still would not actually take that prospect and use that as some sort of precursor to not draft another corner yeah. somewhere within the draft, preferably one of the higher rounds, uh, depending on whatever pick the Raiders are going to have after it's all said and done, if they were to go ahead and make another trade or not, something like that. But yeah, I could, I could see them trying that prospect. I could see that, but do not let that deter you from still adding more depth and youth and talent to that defensive backfield. The Obviously, we know the NFL is a business. We, that's been clear for a long time. We all get that, I think, for, for the most part. Some fans don't realize it, but 
That's what it is. It's a business. And Derek Carr is going through a contract negotiation right now to get an extension. How much could business get in the way of of this team potentially if they have a, a tough time coming to a deal here? If maybe they even go toward training camp without an extension agreement in place, could this impact the team getting ready for the year? It, it could impact the team. I don't think it should, and I don't think that would be fair if it did, mainly because Derek Carr coming out in the second round, 2014 draft, he's obviously been compensated well ever since he got his second contract. I believe it's, what, five years, $125 million, yeah. something like that. So clearly Derek Carr is not hurting for uh, any missed meals or anything like <laughs> that. So when you factor in how the 2016 season, the Raiders went 12 and four, Derek Carr was receiving NFL MVP votes. And then all of a sudden that's when everything got derailed. He breaks his leg against the Indianapolis Colts right around Christmas time. And it just seems like everything just kind of fell down by the wayside from that point on. So with all that being said, because for so many people within Raider nation, the fan base, things like that, anytime you talk about Derek Carr, and I even said this before, he's a good quarterback. He's a really, really, really good quarterback. But, and there's always that but. So whenever you see the Raiders in games like against the Los Angeles Chargers, the season finale where they're up 29 to 14, then all of a sudden they blow that 15-point lead and now they got to come back into the game and go ahead and win uh, late in the game. Or as you can go ahead and see against the Cincinnati Bengals where they're driving down the field and then they wind up throwing that interception right there at the last second. And so many times this season where they're having to go ahead and play catch up late in the game or they just go out there and just have a dud of a game against the Washington football team, which is now the Washington Commanders. Or you see how when they got uh, when they got bounced by Cincinnati back in November in games like that, or the Chicago Bears. So those types of games kind of put a sour taste in your mouth whenever you're ready to just go ahead and anoint Derek Carr as one of the elite quarterbacks in this league. And for that, I would not have any problem of any sort if. The Raiders were willing to let Derek Carr play out the final year of this contract and go ahead and see what he can produce and then let that go ahead and decide what his contract extension is going to be in the offseason because you have a Devontae Adams, you have a Hunter Renfro, you have my man Darren Waller out there at the tight end position, you have Josh Jacobs in the backfield, you got Max Crosby and Chandler Jones over there as the edge rushers, and oh yeah, by the way, the Chiefs just lost Tariq Hill, they just lost Taran Matthews, so the Chiefs, now they're coming back to the pack a little bit, and now you got obviously the Los Angeles Chargers, you got the Denver Broncos, so now the way the Raiders are set up, what would Derek Carr's excuse be for not being able to turn in another playoff bound season and getting one, just one playoff victory? So that's why I wouldn't be surprised. And I also would not have any qualms if they were to go ahead and let Derek Carr play out this year and almost kind of like a like a prove it year just to see, okay, do you want to go ahead and get that big bank that, you know, Aaron Rodgers, that Deshaun Watson, uh, those big type of exorbitant type of uh, per year average salaries, or do you want to go ahead and get something in the 30s, what have you? But I would go ahead and let him play out this year just to go ahead and see exactly what we're working with because he no longer, in a lot of people's opinion, he no longer has any excuses. Well, great, great stuff as always. We really appreciate it. What do you want people to check out? 
Oh, man, you can go ahead and check out my podcast, All Facts, No Cap. You can catch it on my Instagram page. It is SRoute26. That is two Ts, SRoute26 on my Instagram or even on my Twitter. And then that will go ahead and link you to my YouTube, things like that. All Facts, No Cap. i got some big guests coming soon for this spring, so everybody stay tuned. Awesome stuff, man. Thank you. We'll enjoy the weekend. We'll talk to you soon. You guys be good, man. Be safe. There you go, Stanford Route, former NFL player, former Raider. As I said, 2005, second-round draft pick of the Raiders. We'll come back. So much more. Our old friend, Story Bonatoni, joins us. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co.